0: Welcome to Eastgate Church. I trust you'll find this message inspiring and encouraging for you today. Father, we invite you here by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. We thank you that you're already moving. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive and kicking today. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that the praises that we offer gives the devil a jolly good punch in the guts. and He says he has no place in this place because we are your people And we're going to higher places. So, Lord, we pray, Father, that this morning you would take us to those higher places, Lord. Lord, as the praises rise like incense from this place, we pray that it may be received into your throne room as an acceptable offering of sacrifice unto you. Lord, I pray for this message, this word that you have for us this morning. Lord, may it penetrate even the hardest of hearts. Lord, I pray that you would open every heart here this morning. Lord, speak to our hearts and change our lives, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to preach after such a great worship um, time as that. I, I was kind of having to not sing some of the last song, otherwise I might not have a voice uh, to keep going. But praise God, he'll sustain us. So um, we're looking today um, at the third part of the It's War series. Who was here for part one and two? You might not be able to remember, but hopefully you can. A couple of hands went up. Some people's memories doesn't stretch back that far. We did actually start it back in October, um, and uh, it came in the... Uh, aftermath of the October the 7th attacks in Israel, and I really sensed at that time in my spirit, I sensed that there was a shifting in the spiritual realm that was taking place in the world. And I sensed that not only were we looking just at the, the physical war taking place before our eyes that was plastered across the media and to an extent still is, but it was the spiritual dimension, the unseen dimension that had shifted, and there was something that was happening, yes, in the heavenlies, but there was something that was happening in the demonic realm. The way that war came about, the way that that attack happened, there was something of a demonic power behind that that was operating. And then what do we see? We see ever since then a great eruption, left, right, and center in various different places In the world you know a former pastor uh, that I was under as a child used to say if you want to know and you want to understand what's going on in the world then look to the Middle East look to Israel and where is the center of everything just now Israel and the Middle East why is it the center because it's a contentious land why is it a contentious land because it's God's land for God's people And wherever God commands it to be his land for his people, the devil doesn't like it. So the devil will throw everything he possibly can to try and stop it. So when you see things in the news, when you hear of things and when you see protesters calling for a ceasefire, that's a lovely idea, but I want to tell you Hamas has been offered a ceasefire and they're refusing it right? That's the simple fact of the matter. They're refusing a ceasefire. They don't like the terms of the deal, and so they're just parading on with their barbaric and wicked acts of terrorism. There is a one-year-old child they have been holding hostage since uh, uh, October the 7th. That's baby's parents missed their child's first birthday because of those demonic forces in operation. Folks, this is no time for mucking around, and I believe we are in a season, not just across the world but specifically here at Eastgate I believe we're in a season where we're being challenged we we're, we're being challenged to get prepared and to be prepared for what is coming down the line I say that not to scare us I say that not to press us down but to hopefully pull us up you know every now and then uh, there's a word that is birthed over time and I knew that when God gave me this word of its war as a sermon series, before there was ever any content of any sermons, I knew it was a significant word, but I didn't know what the significance was because I didn't know the content. And gradually, over the course of these three parts, it's kind of come together. And it was really only on the evening of Christmas Day when I was taken to Jeremiah 31, which is our main scripture for today. You know, that's not really a typical scripture that you might read on the evening of Christmas Day, is it, right? You might be reading Luke and the birth of Jesus and remembering that. Well, I was sat there in the evening uh, with my, uh, I felt like I needed to unbutton my shirt with the stomach was slightly expanded from the Christmas dinner, Um, but uh, don't worry, I washed up the dishes and that helped to burn a bit of it off, praise God. Uh, But um, I get a sense that um, even though we started the first two parts back in October, now is a time to conclude this series with part three Um, and hopefully by the end we'll all stitch together if you missed part one and two that's absolutely fine please do go to the youtube channel they're both on there um, and have a watch back at them Um, things will make sense today hopefully but it will make full sense if you go back and watch part one and part two Um, because today we're looking at the third part prevailing in war Let's just have a quick, very, very quick recap. We've got a lot to get through, and I believe God wants to do some things in our lives this morning, and we need to uh, make time for that. So the first part uh, was on uh, preparing for war, preparing for war, first stage. You can't go to war unless you're prepared. We said it was about waking up, it was about being alert, and it was about getting ready preparation folks is vital if we as a teacher used to say to me at school if we fail to prepare then we better prepare to fail we need as a people to be spiritually fit and ready for battle society talks much just now don't they about fitness and going to the gym and and all these people they're jetting off and they're running around in 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 their lycra outfits and, and and whatever else you know Honestly, it's, it's, it's preposterous. You should see some of it. It, it, it. Yeah, I mean, just sort of sit there and look out the window at the world running by, aimlessly seeking after this ideal look. I tell you, folks, the ideal look is the look that God's given you. Right? Don't chase after something else because the ideal look is the look that God's given you. You might not like it. Learn to deal with it. The second part was on fighting the war. So once we're prepared, then we can fight the war. And we said there was also three parts to that. We said it was about being equipped for war. We can't fight a war without the equipment, without the tools for war. We need to get on the battlefield. How can you fight a war if you're not on the battlefield and you're sitting on the couch playing the Xbox, playing Call of Duty... It might be a war game, but you cannot be on the battlefield if you're sitting on the couch. And then we need to be, once we're on that battlefield, equipped and ready for war, we need to be confronting and fighting evil wherever we find it. This war is not, folks, a participator sport. This is not the sort of thing where we sit there and we applaud a pastor and say, well, you know, we're right behind you, we're cheering you on, ah, this great, that's marvelous. No, this is a war for every single one of us to participate in, folks. This is a war where there is a role for every single one of us to play. And what are we doing? Well, we are concerned with declaring war on the devil declaring war on the devil, serving him an eviction notice where in every area of our lives, in every area of the church where he may have crept in, yes, the devil creeps into the church, sorry to burst some bubbles there, and where the devil has crept in and taken over in parts of the nation. I'm sure you will agree there are parts of this nation where the devil has crept in and taken over so much. So we need to stand up, we need to confront the evil, and we need to fight against it. And I sense this shift in the supernatural has only just increased ever since then with recent events, but also some challenging. Uh, words. Uh, Arthur started the year by talking uh, about, well, it's time to rise up. It's time to take the land. I think that's a powerful statement, time to take the land. We're not going on some kind of, we're not literally just going to go to the back hall after the service and grab spears that Arthur's been busy preparing for all week and then march up to Johnston and start taking the place by storm. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a spiritual war. We're talking about taking back this land, which is a covenant land, a land that the people of Scotland said this is God's land. We are the people of God who worship God and we will not have the devil taking his place in this place. Do you know right now where there used to be so many people over in Edinburgh burnt at the stake? There's people just dancing around and carrying out all sorts of demonic activities. That's what goes on in these places. They're dancing on the memorial that was put there to the covenanters. They don't even realize what the memorial is if they would just but take a step back and read the text on the ground, they might learn something. But they don't. Why? Because they're carried away with the wills of the world. They're carried away with the phrase of the day. And then Andy spoke last week on removing the blocks of hearing God's voice. That was a powerful word last week. Again, if you weren't here, go watch it on YouTube. It's there on our channel. It's on the podcast as well. You can listen to it as you're cycling along the road. If you're a runner in your lycra outfit with your iPhone strapped to your waist, uh, wrist, wrist arm. You can stick Andy's podcast on next week, uh, when you're next out. And you can get fed physically by going for a run, I suppose. I'm not very familiar with the concept of running, but I believe that's how it works. <laughs> And and, and then you can uh, get fed spiritually and nourished by the word that Andy gave us there. And I had an encounter recently with the Holy Spirit where I was just praying and I was just spending some time with the Lord. uh, And then um, I was waiting on the Lord and, and and I heard him say to me, I heard him say, It is time to rise up. I have seen enough. It's time to take the land. It's time to rise up. I have seen enough. It's time to take the land. And I thought to myself, he's seen enough. Because I've often prayed and I've often thought, what stage is God going to intervene? What stage is God going to say enough is enough? Well, actually, you know what? Sometimes God says enough is enough when his people cry out and they say enough is enough. We're going to do something about this. That's when he comes. And I believe we're at a stage now we're on the cusp of something. We're we're not quite there, but we're on the cusp of something where if we keep pressing in, if we keep pushing in for more of God, then he will hear from heaven, as that word says in 2 Chronicles 7.14. He will hear, hear the cries of his people. He will forgive the sin and he will come and heal the land. That's what we need. We need healing in our land, in our nation. And then um, earlier on in January, um, I was at a gathering of leaders down in Leicester. Actually, it's at my sister's church, but that's largely irrelevant. And there was a word given during that conference, um, and it was uh, referring to Haggai 2. And it's because God says there in prophecy to Haggai, he says he's going to shake the nations, he's going to refine his house, and he's going to refine remnant Israel. And when we look at that, he says, what is it? We have defiled the house of God. We've allowed so much muck and yuck to come in and get in the way of what God wants to do that he wants to come in and he wants to clean it up. And I believe that's what God is doing. He's refining his bride right now for us. And during that conference... We're not going to watch it now. If anyone's interested, I'll send you the link. They've actually put, uh, I think it's about a 20-minute clip out. On the Friday night, uh, we got there to church just after 7 p.m. We left at 11 p.m. We could have gone on for a few more hours as well. We were just having such a great time in the presence of the Lord. But we were crying out to God. I want to tell you, down in that place, there's a group of about 20 to 30 young people in their early 20s and late teens that are spending all night crying out to God, petitioning God for this nation. And they're interceding for the nation. And before you knew it, the entire congregation, 300, 400 people were there that night. And we were all interceding for the nation. And and the the, the pastor's wife who was leading that section, she said, just wait and ask God what he would have you pray for. And what God had me pray for was that he said to me, he said this clear word, and I I want us to just hold on to it and then park it and we're going to come back to it in a short while. He says, there is no space for religion in the kingdom of God. There's no space for religion in the kingdom of God. Please hear it carefully. I'm going to unpack it and explain it, okay? Because I can already see a few people itching in their seats going, but what's he saying? Just hold it. God is challenging us to focus on him, not man. It means not focusing on any or having any concern for man-made structures that block or delay God's spirit from moving. And folks, that includes here within the church itself. God has been, for the last few years, sifting the church. He has been sifting. I think he's been sifting the church for about 60, 70 years in this country, really. You know, 60, 70 years ago, people will regularly say, they'll put polls out in the media and say, oh, well, church attendance is down so much, only 3% of people, Christians, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Maybe the numbers attending church are less, but I want to wager that you're here today because you chose to be here. You probably, and I hope you didn't come here just because you felt you needed to out of duty, but you came here because you thought, yes, if I'm there, I'm going to spend time, I'm going to be built up with fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, I'm going to encounter the Holy Spirit and my life is going to be transformed and changed. Now, folks, is not a time for playing around as time that we need to be praying earnestly. There is no time to waste. We need to choose that time uh, wisely. So we're in the midst of a war. There's a shift in the world and there's a shift in the church at the same time. But, folks, I want to tell you that whilst the world is becoming darker, the church is becoming lighter because the light of Christ shines brighter amidst the darkness. And the darkness cannot, as the Word tells us, overcome it. If you remember the first two parts of this series, we focused on uh, three uh, kind of themes of refreshing, of restoring and reviving, refreshing, restoring and reviving and they're going to come through again today and hopefully it's all going to stitch together. When I got those three words in part one and two, I kind of felt like it was a tack on and I felt like it was going to add it on to another point that was already there but it's only now when I get to part three, I'm sitting there going, oh, oh, I understand And I'm hoping you will kind of get that reaction uh, by the end of today as well. So, when we look at prevailing in this war, our primary focus is on the church, which is us. And we're talking about the church, the body, the people, not the structure. And this scripture passage that we're going to read just now is primarily speaking about Israel, but there are things that we can take from it as a church as well. Just as remnant Israel was to return from exile, and this looks forward to a time when God promises to return Israel from exile, the remnant church is now arising to return to the center from the sidelines of society. He's raising up the remnant church. So let's read uh, a passage here. Jeremiah chapter 31, if you've got your Bible turned to it, it will come up on the screen as well. And we're going to start at the beginning, which is verse 1, like most chapters. At that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Arise and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping, they shall come and with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. I will make them walk by the brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands for far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from the hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, radiant, shining, over the grain, uh, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young woman rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the souls of priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children, because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping, and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope. For your future, declares the Lord. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their own country. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored. For you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I relented. And after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. And then we're going to skip up to verse 31 of the same chapter. And it says here, verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Amen and may God bless his word to us today. So three themes uh, that we're going to draw from uh, here. I'm sure there's many, many more themes you can draw from. Chapter 31 there, Jeremiah, just as a little side note, follows on from chapter 30. Yes, Stuart, I know it comes after it's counting, it's basic enough. Yes, I'm not saying that. It it follows, chapter 30 starts, by talking about the return from exile, chapter 31 continues it. So if you want to learn about and read about that whole uh, prophecy given to Jeremiah of the return of Israel, it's a really important part of time uh, in the history of Israel, then please do, um, in your time, go back and read chapter 30 uh, and the rest of 31 there as well. Three themes we're going to look at here uh, really quickly. We're going to try and rattle through it as quick as possible. Um, So if you um, go back and listen on podcasts, the great thing with podcasts is you can listen to it either in fast time if you're in a bit of a hurry, or you can listen to it in half time if I was speaking too fast. Um, So uh, uh, do that, and then you can um, uh, hopefully pick up anything you don't just now. The first point is we're going to say prevailing requires a shift in our approach. Business as usual is not an option. The second point, prevailing requires a removal of the shackles of religion, no more barriers to the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, prevailing requires a new intimacy with Jesus. It involves total surrender, total submitting to Him, and total reliance on Him. So first, the refreshing. Prevailing requires a shift in our approach. Business as usual, folks, is not an option, you know, recently, uh, there was some roadworks that seemed to go on for an eternity in the Bridge of Weir, and uh, the road was closed for some time, Where there was temporary lights, and then there was half of the road closed, and then they, said, they announced, oh, sorry, we had no idea where the pipes were under the road, and now it turns out we need to dig the whole thing up. Can you believe it? In this day and age of all this technology and mapping and everything else, we just didn't know where the pipes were. Makes you really confident that we're in safe hands with the authorities, doesn't it? Anyway, they shut the road for a couple of months. Of course, it overran. You know, a couple of workmen sitting there. They dig a hole and go to the pub, I think. It's amazing. Anyway, the, the shops there suffered because instead of having all this passing traffic, through traffic of people going onwards and stopping off, Suddenly, there was no passing traffic for a large part of the high street there. So um, uh, the, one of the restaurants there put massive hoardings up on the fence. they was probably permission to do so that said, open as normal, business as usual. And I thought to myself, well, you may well be open. I went to that restaurant a couple of times during that road closure. I can tell you it was not business as usual, one iota. There was people arriving late for bookings. Oh, sorry, we didn't realize the road was closed. We had to go on a diversion. There was people not showing up. The owners told me that although business was okay, numbers were markedly down from when the road was open you can say business open as usual, but it's not, is it, really? We can pretend in our lives, can't we? We can pretend it's business as usual, but prevailing in this war, folks, requires a shift in our approach of how we do church, how we walk together in Christ, how we walk as individuals in our walk with Jesus. The book of Jeremiah is seen by many as a negative book. It's got a negative rap. I don't know why, because I see the promises of God all the way through it. But and that's why I think it's only on the surface. If you give a surface glance, flick through the book, you can see it as just you've sinned, you've sinned, you're in exile, it's doom and gloom and doom and gloom. And then we come to chapter thirteen. he says, but there's hope because I have a plan and a purpose for your future. Amen. And that's what the Lord says here. And that's what we're focusing on because we're not focusing on the doom and gloom of the weather today. It's raining in case you didn't notice. There'll still be people out with shorts. Where is Tommy? Is he here? Can't see him. God's faithfulness throughout all generations is on display through the whole book, but particularly here in this chapter, we see truth, justice, and mercy. And the trial after the trial comes the rescue of the exile from Remnant. You know, folks, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And I believe there are some people, possibly even in our midst, that have been doing the same thing and they're battling the same thing and they're trying to do the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. If you get in your car and you drive in one direction, you will not end up in a different direction. It's as simple as that, folks. Well, I wanted to go to Port Glasgow. I just hit the M8 instead. Well, that leads to Glasgow, not Port Glasgow. But I wanted Port Glasgow. Well, you better turn around and take a different approach then. It's that simple, Folks. We have been doing the same thing for too long. We need to realign ourselves with God's pattern and His plan for His church. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about Him being glorified. Well, maybe, maybe you have been trying various different things, but maybe you're trying in your own strength. Folks, today is the day where you need to start relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to come and do it for you. I don't normally like the New Living Translation or the New Living Paraphrase, as I prefer to call it, but Romans 12:2 uh, is is really good here. It says, do, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Uh-huh. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So how do we know God's will for us? By him changing, uh, transforming us, by the renewing of our mind, the more uh, common phraseology there, that changes the way that we think. Okay, Isaiah 43 and 19, uh, to paraphrase the verse there, it says, God is doing something new. He will, and it says, he will make a way in the wilderness and the desert. To return from exile, the Israelites had to shift their approach. Carrying on in sin and grumbling would not change anything. And we see in verse 12 of this chapter of 31 of Jeremiah, it says that they would return, when they returned, they were to return with praising. I wonder, how would you react right now if you just got that thing which you're believing for? How would you react right now if you got that answer to prayer? If you got that breakthrough right now that you've been seeking for, searching for, longing for? How would you react? what would your reaction be? That's the sort of reaction that you need to be operating in every moment of your life because you praise your way into breakthrough. If you are serious about prevailing in the war, it's time to change your approaches, trying to shift it up a gear and press into Jesus like you've never done before. Secondly, prevailing requires us to remove the shackles of religion. This is the part of the restoring Why? Because it's God restoring us to what he always intended us to be in the first place. And this word, there's no room for religion in the kingdom of God, it it, it struggled with me at one point, and I thought, "Mm, okay. But I understood it, but it it hit me because I sat there and I thought, well, where have I been too religious? Where have I been caught up in legalism? Where have I been hiding behind structures? You know, folks, when revival comes... I can tell you the seats won't be in a straight row. Because God's Holy Spirit moves in different ways. And what are we going to do? Are we going to sit there and say, Oh, but the row is not straight. Or are we going to say, Praise God. Someone been set free. Praise God. The demon just ran out of the church and he's never going to come back because he's so scared of the sound of the praises of God emanating from this place. We have made church a religion, we've made it about us when it should be all about Jesus. And, and, and we've tried to be a perfect church. You know, people always, you know, the number one reason why people leave a church and they go, ah, oh, well, I've got the problem with this, and I go there and then you ask them a few weeks later, you know, how's your new church? Oh, it's perfect. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. And then you ask them in six months' time, oh, no, we left. There's no such thing as a perfect church. Why? Because every, perfect, every church is led by imperfect, flawed people. Better to find yourself an imperfect church that holds to the truth, yes, absolutely, run by flawed people, absolutely, but a church that's going after God. A church that's going after God wholeheartedly, and I hope that that's what we're doing here at Eastgate. At that gathering I was at last month, there was a point where um, uh, it was said by someone from the platform, he says, when the church becomes about us, it's no longer his house, it's just a business. When the church becomes about us, it's no longer a place of worship unto God. It's just a business. It's just yet another corporate structure, aimlessly ambling along. And I want to tell you, folks, I'm absolutely bored of constantly trying to find a new supplier for different things here and there and sorting out all this out and sitting there thinking this is all just a vain effort. I could do it or not do it, and still nobody's going to be saved. I want to be going after souls with the same fervor that I go after things in the corporate world. And how different would our society look if each and every one of us did that? And I believe that God is in the process of refining us here locally, yes, but more nationally as a church. He's cleaning out the muck The junk in the church, he's refining his bride, he's raising up the remnant church. A people who will stand boldly for the truth, a people who refuse to to bow the knee to the spirit of the age, a people who will stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around their waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, that have the shield of faith, that can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. They've got the helmet of salvation, they've got the sword of the spirit, this sword of the spirit which is sharper than any double-edged sword that pierces even the hardest of hearts. That is the sort of church that God is seeking us to be. Last week, Kimberly led us in that wonderful song, Make Room. You know, some people have a problem with the bridge of that song. And the people that have a problem with it have a problem with God because it talks about getting rid of religion and tradition. Okay, it's, it's religion that contains us. It's tradition that holds us back. And don't get me wrong, I'm I'm all for tradition and all these nice things. But when it holds back God, let's get rid of it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Religion represses in bondage. Whereas relationship releases us in freedom. Where do you want to find yourself today? In bondage or in freedom? I know where I want to be. But many find comfort in religious structures. It's their safety net. I believe they're driven by an irrational fear. They're driven by a fear of what happens if there isn't that safety net. Do the amount of times people will come to uh, Arthur, they will come to me, and they will come to others, and they're looking for the answers. They're looking to be spoon-fed answers. And and, and Quite often I just say to people, I ask them too quick, are you reading the Word, are you praying? And I'll find more often than not the answer is no. You see, the thing is, if you go to someone that you see as a spiritual leader and you're looking for all the answers, the minute that person inevitably says something that's not quite true, not quite right, and everything falls apart, then you'll blame them. When actually the fault is yourself because you never sought the Lord for yourself in the first place. God knows you better than anyone else can know you. I can only know things about you that you choose to share with me, but God knows those things already. So why not seek the Lord? Oh, sure, we're here to help you. I'm not saying uh, that we're not here to help. We're here to help you walk along, alongside, to build you up, to encourage you. That's our job as leaders in the church, is to build up, to encourage, so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and sent out to collect in souls and pluck them from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the light of Christ. We cannot hold on to the vestiges of legalism anymore. It doesn't mean that we don't need structure or organization. It's biblical to have a leadership hierarchy. It's biblical to have order in the church because we serve a God of order. We don't serve a God of chaos or disorder. Okay. So every week we have an order of service here. We know what's going to happen in what order. The band prepares a set list and we know roughly how long that's going to take. We know roughly what time we're going to finish. We know all these sort of things. But ultimately ultimately, all of that can go out the window if God so pleases. If he's got different plans, then that's absolutely fine. Let him crack on with it. Okay? It's when those things, when those structures, when that order becomes the focus that it starts to contain and and limit what God might want to do, that's where it becomes a problem. We can't prevail until we get rid of these things. Just going through the motions because we feel a commitment to something, getting hung up on where we sit in church, the clothes that people wear, the order of the service, the time we finish, or even the version of the Bible we preach from. You know, the biggest religious spirit in the church today are people who are the so-called KJV-only people. You know, they think that the KJV is the only Bible. It's the proper thing. It's the proper thing. King James had words changed in the Bible to suit his own little narrative, right? So it's not perfect in that sense. And there's various different versions of the Bible. Praise God, we have so many in the language of English just read from the New Living Translation there, but yet our main reading was from the English Standard Version. Different versions, different ways of saying the same thing to help us to understand it. What matters more, reading from the correct version of the Bible or simply reading the Bible and getting the Word of God into our heart? There can be, folks, zero barriers to the Holy Spirit. And the end of religion in the church paves the way for revival. It opens up doors for an explosion of heaven in our midst. I wonder, has, has, has religion and legalism been held back? Has it held back the Holy Spirit? Well, folks, I think there's many a revival that has either been delayed or has just not happened because of religious spirits. Even in the midst of some of the greatest revivals in some of our lifetimes in the latest Hebridean revival in the 1950s, you know the free church refused to participate because they were suspicious of the Spirit going on. Oh, what's this new spirit? Didn't have anything to do with it. Church of Scotland is where that revival took place. There was a few free church ministers that joined in, but the large part, those people stayed away from it. Their church is emptied and the Church of Scotland filled because they stood for truth. Oh, whoa, what a terrible state that institution has got itself into now. Mm. If but that would go back to the Word of God and the truth, what could we see happen? But it's get caught up in religious doctrine, structure, and ritual for the sake of ritual. I was looking last night at the number of denominations there are in a church worldwide. There's something like 20 main categories, and then there's various ones underneath all of that. Uh, so I think on a rough scrolling through a list, there's probably more than 100 denominations. Each with their own little ways, each with their own little purposes, some with blue chairs, some with red chairs, some with no chairs. <laughs> I don't care. The, 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 it's not in the Bible. God did not command us to go out into all the nations and create another denomination, it commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel and collect in the harvest. And I want to tell you something, I'm sorry if it bursts a few bubbles here, but Jesus is not returning for a denomination, or any one particular denomination, he's returning for a people who are so totally sold out on the truth, so totally sold out for him, that nothing else matters. And folks, just as we read here in this passage, Jesus came to rescue the remnant Israel. He's coming back for a remnant church who refuses to bow to the spirit of the age or be constrained by a religious spirit. The devil has used legalism to hold us back, to keep us constrained and contained. God wants to be intimate with us. It's how he created us, in his image. The devil uses religion to stop it. You know, there's some churches that try to do church by democracy. You know, they have a whole vote on everything. Some churches select their pastor by having a vote on it. Democracy's not in the Bible. Simple as that. Some churches have so many deacons, they're basically deacon-possessed. And some churches, more worryingly still, where the man of God is held up and, and put on a pedestal as almost becoming a godlike figure himself. And then there's some churches that are so dead, there's no difference to who's on the pews and who's in the graves outside. <laughs> Folks, it, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. It's all religious structure. And it all keeps us from the fullness of God. And it stops the Holy Spirit from doing what he wants to do in and through us. And it stops us from prevailing in the war. We're in a time where we cannot afford to be messing around. We cannot afford to be worried about the color of a chair. We need to be worried about whether the people on those chairs are going to heaven or whether they're going to hell. You cannot encounter the living God fully and experience the fullness of God until you are released from the spirit of legalism. If you want to read more on that, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where you need to head on that. When we flip back to Jeremiah 31 verses 15 and 16, talks about there the past defeats of Israel, what the enemy has stolen and taken from them in the past that God allowed, yes, for for his purposes to prevail. He will open a door to show a potential future, the opportunity that tears will be turned to joy. It's a picture, folks. Here I see the picture of salvation, the pre-salvation and the post-salvation life, life that is not worth anything just now, suddenly has worth because there is hope in Jesus. The pain, the suffering, the wilderness years, the times of religious walls and tradition barriers are about to become part of your testimony in your past. And in time to come, the more you look back on that time, the more you'll be praising God for deliverance. That's why we've named this upcoming conference, Looking Back, Moving Forward. Because we're going to be looking back at our past and the stand that our forefathers took, why they took it, in order to understand our place today, and why, in order to move forward, we need to be taking a stand for truth for Jesus Christ today. Verse 11 God will redeem us from those considered too strong. Sometimes in the church, sometimes the forces of secularism or liberalism seem too strong. Oh, it's just too much. But God is stronger. I know so many people who are apathetic about the pathetic nature of our society just now. They don't like it. They don't go along with it. They don't agree with it. But they're not going to do anything about it. Ah, but They just think it's an inevitability. There are two things that are inevitable about life. You will die and you will pay tax. (laughs) Unless you're very clever. No, sorry. God is stronger than anything that the world tries to throw at us. God is greater than anything that the world tries to, to throw at us. And Jesus himself upset the religious order of his day, didn't he? Oh, but Jesus was just such a nicey person. It's all about lovey, lovey. But I just want to love on people. Weak, woolly nonsense. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. And what happened? It caused a ruckus amongst the Pharisees. Why? Because they were more concerned about their own man-made laws and rituals and practices than seeing people set free from sickness. They got caught up in a spirit of legalism and a spirit of religion that held them back from rejoicing in what God was doing in their midst at that moment in time. Oh, may we never get to the point where we lose sight of what God is doing. I don't know about you, but somewhere sometime soon in this nation of Scotland, we're going to see a mighty move of God and I want to be right in the midst of it. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I don't want to be sitting under the duvet all comfortable at home. I don't want to be elsewhere. I want to be wherever God is moving. Matthew 23 and 13, that, Uh, speaks about of Jesus calling out that whole section is, is Jesus responding to the Pharisees and verse 13 Jesus calls out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who did not enter into intimacy with God and importantly as well they did not permit others to do so so not only had they chosen to hold themselves back they were also now holding everyone else back and Jesus called them out for it and rightly so God is challenging us in this area. We need to check ourselves corporately, yes, but we also need to check ourselves individually. He wants to restore us to what he intended us to be as spiritual beings. Getting rid of religion and the spirit of religion in our lives means allowing God to restore us to our original condition. When I was at university, I I lived with some, some good friends, and when we moved into the flat in second year... Uh, it was a nice flat. It was a great find, and I really believe God provided it, and I was there for the rest of my time at university. And, and uh, I, I, we, we, were, we were painting the front door one day, and I think we were sort of doing a bit of sanding, because, of course, that's what you do as students, right? You just sort of look after the property and keep it nice and clean, and there's no pot noodle pots hanging around anywhere. I tell you, actually, our flat was pretty good um, in comparison to others. Um, so there was the day we were sitting there thinking, oh, the paint's peeling off the front door. So we contacted the landlord. We said, is it all right if we just paint the door? It's going to be like for like. And they said, "Yep, go ahead, no problem. So quite something for a landlord to trust students with painting the door to probably end up with some kind of mural or some description. No, we did it in a nice black gloss. It was exactly as it was. But as we sanded it down, this paint sort of started to peel a little bit from the surround of the letterbox. So I sort of thought, oh, that's gold under there. Okay, so we started just deliberately peeling the whole lot off. Before we knew it, we spent six hours on this one letterbox. And we said, what are we doing? What are we doing here? We're restoring it to its original condition. We're polishing it up. We're refining it. We're bringing it back. We're bringing the shine out. And do you know, we stood up. When when it was done, we stood, and the door was on the top of a staircase. So we had a kind of front door tenement flat in Glasgow there. And we stood at the bottom of the stairs, and we just stood there for a few minutes looking. I have no idea what people in the pub across the road were thinking. What are these two weirdos doing just standing, staring at a house? Ten minutes, we stood there staring and looking at it, going, that looks really good. And we turned and looked at each other and went, we've restored it to its original condition. Well, of course, my flatmate didn't stop there. He then contacted the landlord and says, oh, you better come round for some tea. We've increased the value of your flat, uh, so we better be renegotiating rent um, based based on what we've done for you, uh, which was an interesting thing. But God is stripping us back so that we can be restored to our original pre-sin form and purpose. James to 27 not going to read it just now, time is against us but it shows what a perfect relationship with Christ looked like. Freed from the shackles of legalism a changed heart that does things not because you're going through the motions for the sake of it but because your heart is changed and motivated to do things. Faith is not just doing things, it's faith in operation. And faith is not just doing works. It's the other way around. We do the works because it's motivated by faith. We don't get faith by doing works. God has been sifting his church. He's refining us, and he's getting us ready for his return. We are, folks, the remnant church holding to the truth, and we must stand firm on this truth. How do you know if you have a religious spirit? Well, folks, is your identity, and how do you see yourself? Is your identity more with Christ or the denomination? Are you holding up a Christian veneer, but under the surface, nothing much has changed? Well, folks, if you want to prevail in this war, then we need to remove these shackles of these legalistic spirits so that we can be restored to what God intended for us. And thirdly, prevailing requires a new intimacy with Jesus, the reviving. So we have seen the restoring and we saw the refreshing, and now we come to the reviving. We cannot prevail if there's religious barriers to the Holy Spirit. We just looked at that. But we also cannot prevail unless we have a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. We can't have that unless we decide to press into God. James 4, 8, draw near to him, and he will draw near to us. It's his promise. And what about Luke 8, where we read of the uh, the woman with the issue of blood? She pressed into Jesus. Nothing was going to stop her from pressing in. Crowds tightly packed together, nothing was going to stop her. She was going to get her healing that day. She was determined. She had suffered for so long and been tormented and been an outcast in society. You see, you have to understand that under Jewish law, a woman, particularly in anyone with an issue of blood, was an outcast of society. They were seen as unclean. She pressed in, and as she touched the hem of his garment, instantly healed and jesus says who touched me well there was probably various people touching him who touched me because he felt his power going from him healing power going out folks we need to be pressing into jesus with that same fervency disregarding the world around us and eagerly and earnestly seeking more of jesus sometimes the biggest enemy is ourselves and we can give the devil too much credit we can see a demon around every corner. That's not to say there sometimes isn't a demon around a corner. That's where discernment comes in. And we need to discern whether someone is being lazy or whether they're actually being held back by a demonic possession. How do we know this? Well, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that no temptation has come to us or overtaken us that is common to man. Basically, what is it saying? There's no temptation that ever exists where there's no way out without sinning. Sinning as a result of temptation is not, folks, an inevitability. God is faithful. He will help us. He'll point us the way out. But we need to decide that we want to get out. You see, the onus is on us, not just waiting for someone to do something for us. We've got to learn to fully rely on Jesus alone and learn to fully submit to him. James chapter 4 there, verse 7, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil... And he will flee. He will flee because he's under God's authority. And maybe you've been in the wilderness and God is calling you back. He's calling you back today, folks. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's waiting with arms wide open for you and he wants to revive you, to restore you to your first love of Jesus. And when we look at verses 3 to 6 or 7 uh, in, in, back in Jeremiah here, we see it's all about God's faithfulness on display He's undeserved love, yet he's a faithful God. I see the gospel in this passage. Verse 3, he's loved with an everlasting love. Verse 4, he gives us a hope of a future where we can be joyful. Verse 5, we will enjoy the wholesome pleasures of life. He'll strip us back and restore us and open us up to new life in him, praise God. And verse 7, the remnant of will go up to Zion and praise God. God is waiting to breathe afresh on the church, to use the remnant to raise up mighty end-time army of believers who will not bow to the spirit of the age, who will be bold, who will be strong in the Lord, and who will not be cowed by the devil. The Israelites had a land that we read of here as an inheritance. But folks, we have far more. We have the inheritance of salvation through Jesus Christ. that offers eternal life, is more valuable and more lasting than what mere land in this current physical world can do. Weeping folks may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But it doesn't stop there because we've got the promise of the new covenant when we skip up to verses 31 to 34. It says here that no longer will the laws be written down on stone, but it will be written in their hearts. Hearts will be changed and people will be motivated to do the right thing, to be in the right place. Why? Because they will be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, God operating through them. God will forgive the sin. He will blot the sin out. It's gone. It's forgotten. It's remembered no more. God chooses to remember a sin no more. So even though we may be caught up in condemnation for times and we go back and we look and we say, Oh, but what about this? I'm not good enough. God says, What sin? God says, what sin? I died and you asked for forgiveness and forgiveness is yours. It's there for us all today. We just need to take a hand and take a hold of Jesus' outstretched arm to us. Call out to him and he will answer. Ask, seek, knock. He promises to answer. He promises to be found and he promises to open the door to us. In fact, it's even more than that because when we go to Revelation in chapter 3, it says that, behold, I knock. God knocks at the door of our hearts. And I want to tell you today, God is knocking at the door of your heart. And he's saying, I'm knocking. Will you let me in? I want to come to you. I want to make you whole. I want to clean up the yuck and the muck. I want to make you whole. So to prevail in war, we need to be close to Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit in us to revive us. So we've looked here at three parts. A preparing for war, fighting the war, and now prevailing in the war. We're living in a fallen world, and so war is a reality of this present world. It's never desirable, but it is the reality And we're in a war right now. It's no good pretending that we're not, because the simple fact of the matter is we are. And the world, as we've said, becomes darker, but the church is becoming lighter as the remnant church arises. And praise God we get to be part of that. Preparing means waking up, getting alert, and getting ready. Fighting means being equipped and getting on the battlefield and confronting evil. Finally, prevailing involves shifting our approach, removing religious spirits, and having an intimate relationship with Jesus. I want to ask you today, do you believe that you can prevail? Well, let's look at it a different way. You need to believe not only that you can, but that you will prevail. Otherwise, what is the point of even preparing and fighting in the first place? It's just pointless. The good news is that Jesus has already prevailed. Jesus equips us, Jesus fights our battles, and he will fight for us. He just needs someone willing to say, Here I am, Lord, send me. Use me, fill me. Are you prepared to throw off the shackles of religion and tradition that holds us back? Are you prepared to count the cost and enter fully into close and deep relationship with Jesus? Are you prepared to allow the Holy Spirit to truly and fully take over and do something new in your life today? Thanks for watching. Have you been challenged today? then please drop a message so that we can help support and pray for you. And also remember to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss the next message.